Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Electric Shadows podcast, all about the Oscar nominees for 2018. Just a couple of points of business before we begin. This was recorded on Wednesday the 24th of January, so before the news broke that Casey Affleck would not be attending this year's awards. And I've also now seen Lady Bird. I talk about it a bit in the show, saying that I haven't seen it. I have now seen Lady Bird, and you'll be pleased to hear that it is very, very good, and you should see it. So, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh, dear, I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're going to like the real one, either. Hey, fuckhead! What? Don't say what, Dixon, when she comes in calling you a fuckhead! Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose? Would you stop interrupting me while I am interrupting you? Where's the bloody Air Force? She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. You clean that lab, you get out. Hello, and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast. With me, your host, Rob Daniel, and as always, I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by my resplendent and learned colleague, Mr. Rob Wallace. Wow, resplendent this time. Um... And as always, it's a pleasure and a delight to be here. An honour, an honour and, pl- and a pleasure. An honour and a pleasure to be here. Pleasure well, and a delight. Is there any combination of those are a representative of my feelings at this moment? It's an angel delight to be here. It's a strawberry-flavoured angel delight to be here. Let's go with that. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the um, Oscar nominations, which came out yesterday, so we're recording this on Wednesday, 24th January probably going to be going up after the weekend because I'm going to have to edit it. Can't believe these require any editing. I, mean, I know. The fact that I am denying our listenership all of our pearls of wisdom is almost a war crime. But anyway, yeah, this might be edited a little bit. Um, yeah, so we will talk about our opinions of the Oscar nominations for 2018. And this is a day that Rob, on a previous podcast, quite rightly said might not come because of course Hollywood is in such an egregious state right now of um, of all of its dark past coming out in terms of sexual harassment uh, that yes it's going to be a very very interesting Oscars this year I mean, in terms of the nominations and sort of the snubs and the surprises it's only really touched upon them very lightly in terms yeah. of, you know it's not a major part of the, it hasn't been a major part of the narrative over the last couple of days I think they're saving it for the big night. I think it's going to be the only thing that they really talk about on that night because cause Harvey Weinstein was always known as the, the big the kingmaker. Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, he was the kingmaker. He was the one, and he had a throne in the best seat in the house, and apparently had a sushi platter that he used to have, and it and this cost like twenty grand or something like that. It was one of those things where it was yeah, literally a dictator level luxury that he would enjoy at the Oscars. Because, of course, wasn't it something like his films have won 81 Oscars or something like that? Or they've been nominated for 81 Oscars? I think, I think they won 81 Oscars. He's, all of them richly deserved. I'm all sure. of them richly deserved. I think we can all agree that Shakespeare in Love deserved to win the Best Picture Oscar above Saving Private Ryan and The Thin Red Line. We can all agree that, can't we? I think we can all agree The King's Speech deserved to win over The Social Network. Yes, we can all agree that as well. Because, uh, because you look back and it's like, yes, The King's Speech is a film. 
and the social network is one I mean, of the most zeitgeisty films I mean, uh, I mean where, where else are we going to what other you know work of cinema are we going to see us King George that, that you know that monarch portrayed I mean right. just, not before and not since one time only there will be no other film that, with a pantomime <laughs> level of broadness to it that would bring him back as a character uh, anyway, of course we've been incredibly snarky, but no, you're right. I think in terms of well, in terms of the nominations, and we'll get to this in just a minute, but I think they've missed some easy wins in terms of addressing some of the big victories that female filmmakers have had this year. Yeah, so we will have to discuss that. And there was something else I was going to say. Yes, of course, you said that there might not be an Oscars next year or this year, as it now is. But there is, apparently. Yes, they're going to go ahead. Jimmy Kimmel is going to be doing it again, which I think is good because I thought he was pretty good last year. And I don't know if you thought the same, but... Yeah, no, I thought, I thought, I thought he did remarkably well under the circumstances. <laughs> but it was all going so well until the last three minutes of the show. <laughs> and, and, the, and, you know, he must have been thinking, next year it's going to be great, I'm going to have an easy ride, everybody's going to be really on my side, and I can keep it light, and I can make a couple of jokes about that, and that's going to... And now it's, it's like, what the... Yes, that was a mere hors d'oeuvre compared to the minefield that I'm going to have to reverse next year. And if Matt Damon doesn't shut up, I'm not even going to be able to do that gag. Yes, indeed, that's right. I think we all know that Casey Affleck won't be in attendance this year, or I would be absolutely amazed if he does show up. And even if he does, he's not going to be giving the Best Actress Oscar. He just isn't, is he? It's just not appropriate. Can you imagine receiving... I mean, I'm guessing they sent him a letter going, Dear Mr. Affleck, again, congratulations on your well-deserved win for Best best Actor. However, your services will not be needed at the 2018 event. Please, could you stay home and we'll send you a nice goodie bag or something? I mean, this is complete speculation, of course, but... I just can't see how he could turn up. I don't think well, I don't think Brie Larson will turn up if he does. That's right, yeah. Anyway, enough of films gone by. Let's look at the films that have been nominated for the Oscars this year. Best Picture. So we'll go through in alphabetical order. Okay. Call Me By Your Name. Rob. What? No, don't worry. Oh, sorry. Okay, um, okay, start again. Call Me By Your Name. Rob. What? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Oh, we were try and make this one cause... run and run, but <laughs> it's because we've both got the same name. It's, it's, the, the, it's the thing it's, that we're it's, doing. It's, it's the thing. That, yeah, it's like it's like who's on first, but really bad and won't endure in any way. That's right. Anyway, so um, yeah, so yeah, we have to amuse ourselves as much as the audience. But we, yeah, we know that you're laughing too. Anyway, so best picture. Call me by your name. Can't believe that you didn't jump in there. <laughs> Uh, anyway, which I have not seen. <laughs> it is very good. It's not excellent. Right, okay. It's one of those that it looked... Because it was on at the LFF. Lots of people were saying, yes, this is this is a really good film. It looked a bit homeworky to me. It's kind of... Uh, but apparently it's not. Apparently it, it isn't a chore to watch. It's very polished and sensual. And, no, it is. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very enjoyable watch. I just don't... It's a lovely portrayal of a relationship and what it means to two different people and... The degree to which it's allowed to just be fun and what that means when you're growing. I mean, uh, they've already announced they're doing well. They've in theory doing a sequel. Wow! Because the film doesn't spoiler doesn't cover the whole of the book. Oh right! So they're thinking they might almost approach it as like a a before style situation. Well, okay. So they're doing what they did with the Twilight books then, and they're splitting the almost exactly what they're doing with the Twilight. 
and in terms of having um, Timothy Chalamet in there, they're going for the same sort of audience as well. But uh, anyway, yeah, so call me by your name. Darkest Hour. Regular listeners to the podcast will know what Rob and I think of Darkest Hour. Anyway, so it's moving... A, go yeah, on. It's a deserving nominee. It's, it's a yeah, deserving yeah. nominee for Best Picture of the Year. Jesus Christ. I mean, there's going to be the, other the, Darkest the, Hour the, things we're going to talk thing about. The thing was that we, everything we said about the King's Speech is tripled for Darkest Hour. Anyway, moving on from Darkest Hour to a kind of a related film, Dunkirk, my film of the year last year. I'd be very happy if this won the Best Picture Award. I don't think it is going to win the Best Picture Award, but for my money, it is the best film on there. And it has some pretty good competition. So from Get Out, which also I thought was a five-star movie, and I'm very happy that that has been nominated. And Lady Bird, which I'm seeing tomorrow, but you've seen already and you thought was pretty good. Again, yeah, it's a really lovely coming of age story. Phantom Thread, the Paul Thomas Anderson one, which will be known as apparently the last film that Daniel Day-Lewis is going to star in. Until he gets bored of cobbling shoes. Yeah, and that. There's a touch of the Steven Soderbergh around that. I'm retiring till the next time so I come I'm back. back. <laughs> the Post, which is the Spielberg film. The Shape of Water, which is the Guillermo del Toro film, which I also think is a five-star classic. And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which I also think is a five-star film. It's a pretty good run of films. Yeah, apart with one notable exception, it's really it's a very yeah. It's a, yeah it's a very consistent. I mean, um, Shape of Water has done incredibly well, thirteen nominations. It's the most nominated, isn't which it? Which is uh, one less than La La Land last year. Yes, you're right. I haven't seen the Phantom Thread yet. I'm due to hopefully see it next week. I'm really impressed that's included. Yeah, because that's a film that it's got. Well, it's already got a reputation in the same way as The Master of being quite thematically difficult and not like easy to pigeonhole it but it doesn't seem to have been seen that much it's one of except those by the academy I mean yeah the academy. that's right but there's no because it's one of those films I think that a lot of people would say I've got no idea what that film is and you're thinking well it's it's by an important director who has made There Will Be Blood arguably one of the best films of the noughties like yeah a top ten film from the noughties yeah, Danny Day Lewis in, in his final screen performance apparently it just seems to have not really pushed, but still picked up six nominations. So, you know. I guess maybe maybe it's so good they're just kind of like, well, we're going to send it to the Academy. They will vote for it because it's fantastic and we'll let the audience find it in their own time. Must be, yeah. I mean, are there any what you'd call notable omissions? Well, I think there's one. This would be, I think, maybe a political vote. Or just a... Because the reason why there are so many Best Picture nominees now is because there were films... Was it The Dark Knight that wasn't voted for Best Film? So they yeah, extended the amount of films that you could vote for to put in the popular films that people actually liked. It's like the full, the full, a fuller palette, a fuller range of yeah of films that are out there. And I'm amazed that Wonder Woman did not make the Best Picture. I don't think it's. I think it's a really good film, a really enjoyable film. And I think there are elements of it that are very good. I don't think it should win, but I think in terms of it being the biggest film at the US box office in the summer. It's you know, directed by a woman. It features a very strong, very good lead female performance. It seems to tick off a lot of boxes here, if we've been cynical, and is also an audience favourite. And you're thinking, well, there's always a tension at, at the Oscars of... Between sort of commercial and... And, and art. Yeah. And also getting an audience, because the Oscars is often known as just getting record low viewing figures. Although I think this year they'll tune in to see if they make a balls up like they did last year with the Best Picture announcement. But you're thinking, well, Wonder Woman was a film that was incredibly popular, so why is it snubbed from pretty much everything? It's not even in there for visual effects or anything like that. But also... Maybe it came out too early in the... I mean, people have 
but then yeah yeah maybe but Get Out was out before it but, but... Get Out's been a consistent part of the conversation <laughs> it has that's right I mean it, yeah, it really has entered the zeitgeist but I would say that Wonder Woman has as well it came out before the Weinstein revelations and before the Me Too movement but it does seem to be part of it I, now that's the thing is, I think uh, and that's not that many there hasn't been that much outrage over its exclusion which I think there would have been if Lady Bird hadn't been nominated because Lady Bird and this again this is being very cynical is you know uh, female led female directed female scripted and it kind of fills that slot you know if you're being you know if you're being again if you're being very reductive and you know, I can put myself in the in the mindset of a crusty old <laughs> yes. crusty old white guy uh, you know call me by your name oh that's the gay one Darkest Hour, that's the Gary Oldman one. Dunkirk, that's the big blockbuster one. Get Out, that's about the World bla- War II. Yeah, but that's the black one. Lady Bird, that's the lady one. Yeah, indeed. And Phantom could... Thread, that's the Daniel Day-Lewis one. The Post, that's the Spielberg one. The Shape of Water, that's about the woman who fucks the fish, right? That's good. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, that's the one that has the big diversity message in it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's three, three billboards. That's the sweary one. With the big lead performance by Francis McDormand that is just such a powerhouse performance that you literally... Mesmerised by what's happening in that, but it's also the sweary one. But also deals with race issues. I think there is always room for cynicism when it comes to Oscar nominees, and it's it's also one of those things with the Oscars is that when you look at what has won over what hasn't won, they mean nothing. <laughs> it has never been an achievement of of artistic. Yeah, it's never been a recognition of artistic achievement. Alfred Hitchcock never won an Oscar. Stanley Kubrick never won an Oscar. Driving Miss Daisy did. Driving Miss Daisy did. Suicide Squad did. And Driving Miss Daisy won the same year that Do the Right Thing was nominated and Born on the Fourth of July and and Goodfellas lost out over Dances with Wolves and Shakespeare in Love again. Um, but it's but we always get caught up in it because it's just so glamorous and it is one of those things where it's it's just impossible to resist the oh that's been put up against that and why wasn't that nominated and blah, blah, blah. so it's always the discussion that we have. But it's like kind of a bit like drafts like fantasy footballs like, like for, yeah for, they, for, definitely for, 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 yeah. It's, our time of the year we get to go oh you know that one that one that one that one that maybe that one that might get the pick that's yeah but it is a good roster of movies there I think but yeah they could have had ten and they haven't they've they have I, got nine that I would potentially I'm surprised and I know they haven't done this for a while I would have loved to have seen Coco get a nomination yeah so you were saying about that it's uh, it's interesting because I don't think that because there's a best animated film Oscar I don't think an animated film would ever win best picture but you're right in recent history Animated films have been nominated in the main of and and so have some foreign yeah. language films. Yes, they have. That's right. Yeah, so more was nominated. And Coco, I think, yeah, I think is well, it's better than Darkest Hour. Fucking Darkest mm. Hour. I'm sorry, Darkest Hour as best picture, really. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'd say Wonder Woman is the one that I'm surprised didn't make the tenth spot. What about you? Did you? Is the one that you thought? Oh, I thought they would have got that in there. Um, no, not. I mean. All the ones I was, I was, most of the ones I was expecting, I have made it. Yeah, I'm just surprised. I mean, I know, I know that again, that was quite a late release, and that they haven't. I don't think, not sure they've nominated and animated since Inside Out. But I think Coco's best, uh, Pixar's best film since Inside Out. And I think it, that you could put it on a level with. Was Inside Out nominated for best film? Yeah, was it? I'm ninety percent. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was. No, oh, okay. Unless I'm going mad. It could be going mad. Toy Story three was, and I'm sure you're absolutely right, but. Um... Let's just no, don't check it. <laughs> yeah, don't check it now. Let's just. I'm. Uh... I'm. I'm cu- you know, this is currently Schindler's. No, sorry, Schindler's. God, that's <laughs> a. Sh- <laughs> well, that was a big Oscar win. They, they actually deserved it. Uh, yeah, sorry, um, sorry, sorry, shiny. Um, Schroders, Schroders, Schrodinger's. Schrodinger's. Sh- oh God. <laughs> <laughs> this is my 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 life. My two minutes of uh, vaguely German-sounding names while 
Was it nominated? No, for... it wasn't. Inside oh, Out God, was nominated. Wasn't it? Toy Story 3 was, though. Up. Up was. Right. Okay. I know one of these was. There's some talk about was the disaster artist the number 10, but has now lost out on all its nominations because of the James Franco thing, um, accusations. And it's like, well, it would be Toy Story. Yes, was nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year. Up. Oh, yes, you might be right. Um, I've got to be right. I've had a bad five minutes. I need to. Yeah, I need, I need, I need to claw this. this one back. I need this. Yes, yes. Yes. There you go. He's back, folks. He's back. <laughs> it's a living cat in that box. <laughs> so it's in this box. It's in this box. The cat is alive. So then, moving on to director. So Chris Nolan for Dunkirk and Jordan Peele for Get Out. Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. And Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. They That's, really like the Phantom. They really like Phantom Thread. They really like Phantom Thread. They really do. And. The big surprise here is that Spielberg was not nominated for The Post. Nor was Madonna. Do you know how many noms Three Billboards got? I think it got like eight. I think, right. I think it was about eight. It's a hot favourite for Film of the Year. Although I'm, I think I'm right in saying we think that Get Out might be... Might, might. Upset the apple cart and, uh, and win. And I really think that Get Out has a really good chance of winning the best film of the year. A Blumhouse um, film winning best yeah. picture, which is, yeah. Shows... The age we live in. I mean, it's like yeah, horror. Um, seven Oscars for uh, seven. Okay, not eight. Uh, for three billboards. Um, but horror is always the great lens through which to look at troubled times. But Martin Madonna, I, I thought that Three Billboards was a superbly directed movie. I think it handled actors really well. It handled the kind of set pieces that the film oh, has I, really I, well. I, I think it was PTA, incredibly well put together. I think PTA took his slot. I think. I think, Maybe, I think yeah. if there's if there's anybody here that that might have you know that he might have stepped in instead of you know Christian Nolan was always going to get it. I think Jordan yeah. Peele was always likely to get it if yeah. he got a best picture. Maybe Greta Gerwig, but then again, she is only the fifth woman ever to be nominated for best director. She's the, uh, in ninety years. Yeah, which, is, mean, which is poor. The last person, <laughs> the last one to be nominated was Catherine Bigelow back in two thousand nine. She actually won. Yeah, she did. And uh, and changed everything about the movie industry in that. Uh, a woman had won the Best Director Oscar and then it was another ten years almost before another woman even got nominated. But I don't think that she's going to win. I don't think I'd be, that Lady I'd be, Bird... It's a very well-directed film. It's not virtuous. I, I think, yeah, I think Christopher Nolan could get this. Like, then again, you know, haven't, I haven't seen Phantom Thread. I mean, Phantom Thread is clearly a bit of a dark horse. Mm-hmm. The Shape of Water, I think, is a, is a dark horse as well. And didn't Del Toro win... Because he won Best Director at the Golden Globes, didn't he? But I, th- I mean, I will always say that it has to go to Nolan for Dunkirk because I think that is a. If you talk about one man's vision of a particular moment in British history, told using all the things that he brings to the table, technically and thematically, and achieving absolute brilliance with it, and I think you have to give it to Christopher Nolan. It's an astonishing film, and it was shot in IMAX. So, um, <laughs> and Ladybird wasn't shot in IMAX. <laughs> so, I almost wish it was now. That would be. It's interesting when we saw Carrie, which was projected in kind of an IMAX format, that it looked good. It was one yeah. of those things where you well, can do it. Shining, the, shining, the, yeah. the same evening, and I that was that's firmly planted the Shining in my top ten films. Well, that's really interesting, yeah, because IMAX does. It isn't just about spectacle; it can really immerse you in drama as well. So I think that Lady Bird deserves to have an IMAX release. It's interesting this because I look at the films. I'm, yeah, I haven't seen Lady Bird. I haven't seen Phantom Thread. 
but Dunkirk and Get Out and Shape of Water are five-star films for me, so I'm thinking, well, yes, they deserve their place there. I just think that Martin McDonagh should also be there, but then again, I haven't seen Lady Bird and Phantom Thread, and maybe, yeah, maybe they have the edge, I don't know. I'd say that The Post is a film that Spielberg could have done in his sleep. I mean, it, it, it's, it's yeah. very well-directed, but... It's just sort of like, okay, it's kind of like Spielberg, Stephen, we know, you can just do this. It's one of those things, like, because he is, and I think it's the right word, although it is, it's a big word, but I think he is a genius. I think he is a genius in his chosen field. Well, he's arguably the greatest populist filmmaker of all time. I think he's the greatest popular filmmaker. Yeah, so a populist, popular, I think, in the space. Yeah, I think he is definitely that. I don't think he's the greatest filmmaker of all time, but in terms of... You know, celebrating why audiences love to go to the cinema, I think it's Steven Spielberg. As scored by John Williams. So therefore it's like, we know what you're capable of, and we know that The Post is a really good, thoroughly engrossing film with people in sets. <laughs> so therefore, this is this is the kind of thing that you can just do. So And that he did just do. He, he did it while um, Ready Player One was in post-production. That's right. And it is amazing. You can just, yep, yeah, I'm going to do that film, or doing that one over there. And it's like, yeah, he finished, he was editing Jurassic Park whilst he was shooting Schindler's List, doing it on video link-ups if when you, he was if, shooting if, in Oland. If you had a long night and you entered work the, the next day and you got your films confused, that'd be good. <laughs> that would be, yes. It's like, this, this is the scene with the velociraptors, right? And you're just standing in front of a train car. <laughs> and it's like, oh, he's doing it again. Yeah. Stephen, this isn't the dinosaur one you're doing now. Um, yeah. Oh, no, that's right. I think that shows a level of genius that you can go from Jurassic Park to Schindler's List. Yeah, and it's like thinking, well, I'm sorry, but these are so different. Some versatility, that is. Yeah, that you shouldn't be able to do this. And the fact that you can means that, therefore, I don't think that you do have to be nominated for the post. Whatever whatever happened to that, you know, whatever happened to Liam Neeson? (laughs) (laughs) He's got a train to catch. (laughs) So... Oh yes, we, we need to recontextualise that yes, one. To, that's the commuter. <laughs> yes, that was an unfortunate, inadvertently bad taste. Um, so then, moving on to original screenplay. So the big sick for Emily V. Gordon and Kamal I love the way that you always jump in. As if I, because I'm a bit older than you, you think I can't say the other uh, foreign names because I'm going to be. <laughs> it doesn't mean to be racist. It's just like when your granddad. He was to around say in the eighties. It's just when your granddad says a foreign name, and it sounds it just sounds racist. <laughs> um, yes, so that guy there. <laughs> and so, Get Out by Jordan Peele, um, and Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig, and The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor, and Three Billboards Outside Emma, Missouri by Martin Madonna. So, I've not seen The Big Sick. You have, haven't you? Yeah, it's very good. Yes. Sorry, that's, that's my, just my go-to. Is all, a yeah. lot of the Oscar films, they are very good. <laughs> they are very good. Um, yeah, it's uh, genuinely funny uh, anti-rom-com, which is in itself such a cliche at the minute, but you know, basically about this, this guy who starts a relationship with a girl, <laughs> and uh, they break up. He, does, he doesn't behave particularly well, and they break up, and he attempts a reconciliation at roughly the time that she, falls, that she uh, gets incredibly ill and has to be placed in a medically-induced coma. <laughs> so then he has to get to know her family and that kind of uh, and it's all based on on their real life experience oh uh, yeah because Emily V. Gordon and Kamel Nanjiani are actually married yes. and that actually happened to them and um, so spoiler about whether she, yeah, she gets better or not but anyway that's fine <laughs> so, strange enough she doesn't <laughs> the big sick when it first came out was one of those that was a sleeper hit and lots of people were talking Oscar noms for Oh, well, Holly, Lost. Hunter, Holly Hunter and I think Ray Romano are yes, indeed, as the for, parents for best supporting actor and actress, obviously, but also 
There was been talk of best film and best actor, and it's just got this one, hasn't it? It's just it's just this yeah. one that it kind of got, and everyone's. So I wondered there if I know if Lady Bird been, was be... seen as the indie choice, so therefore yeah, no I think that. I think. Yeah, so that's a very good point. Yeah, um, Lady Bird does fit the indie. Now. I think I, I think Lady Bird's the better film. Um, I really like this, but this it's a it's a little bit it, it, based on the the genre that it is and the way that certain things have to play out. Well, it hits certain tropes. Yeah, that it's, you know it's, 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 it plays with certain tropes, but right. yeah, and everyone in, everyone in it is yeah is good. I, I think I think um, even if you're telling a slightly rote story, a very relatable story as Lady Bird does. I think the you, you, your coming of age allows for sort of more moments of sort of transcendence, as it were. Yeah. Well, looking at these again, it's yeah, to get out. I think is a incredibly canny script and interesting because it's it's a horror comedy, not a comedy horror. So it it is a it is a horror film first and foremost, but it does have a certain amount of humour to it. I think that the treatment of hypnosis and control in that film as thematic devices really elevates this above your standard Blumhouse fare, even though I do think the Blumhouse films are a lot cleverer than they're sometimes given credit for. Yeah, I think it, this it, is... It a... all works symbolically. Yeah. yeah. It's just... uh, yeah, it's indeed, definitely. Yeah, it's an incredibly smart, you say canny, well-constructed script. Ladybird's good. Ladybird's very good. Again, partly um, sort of semi-autobiographical based on Greta Gerwig's upbringing in Sacramento. Shape of Water. I love... That Del Toro writes these sort of films, these yeah, magical realism films that have harsh reality and magic rubbing up alongside each other, and he just gets the tone of it right. The script is just a real joy to read as well, and and the characters do come to life on the page. And I, yeah, I think he is one of the great fantasists. And I'm really glad that Shape of Water leads the nominations because the Academy normally doesn't look at fantasy as something worth nominating, and it's it's gone all out for this one. I think that's because it is magical social realism, social magical realism. Yes. In that, there, you know, it's, it's, it's all about the outsider and, you know, American authoritarianism. At a point where, they, you know, it's even if it wasn't for the Me Too movement that's going on and, and lots of, you know, just in the, all, a lot of these films are very, even if subtextually political, they do carry some sort of political weight to them. And I think there is a fact, it's a case of these films were not made within a few months. These were films that were being developed over years, but I think that when you think that Trump first started his campaign in 2016, but there was a real swing, I think, in terms of the nominees that the Republican Party was putting out and the mood of the nation, that you could see that things were taking like a bit of a reactionary turn. And I think that a lot of these films picked up on that mood and were commenting on it, and they were being developed during that time it's just the fact that now it's got to the point where they all seem like absolutely direct commentaries on what's happening right now well the post was i mean the post well, the post yes indeed but the shape of water though, i think is it's about a film that gives voice to those without a voice the lead character played by sally hawkins literally has no voice but the film is giving her a voice so there you think well this is the film about the me too movement even though it's written and directed by, or co-written by a man, and directed by a man. But there are so many parallels to what's going on right now that these seem quite prescient. But then I think, like, yeah, you are dealing with big eternal themes of oppression, and unfortunately that doesn't yeah, go away particularly quickly. I think Lady Bird might win it as the sort of... I think Lady Bird's kind of... And this takes nothing away. It's kind of the safe option. I'm not sure. I think for this one it's going... Because Three Beer Awards didn't get... A director nom, I think they would give it to Martin McDonough, or I think it would go to Get Out. 
I think it depends how the other chips fall, I guess. it's. Yeah. I think the bigger mission here, Dunkirk. And I think the only reason that they haven't nominated Dunkirk, which I think, because there is a book, it's a book about the evacuation of Dunkirk that has the film poster on and it is the book that inspired the film. So, um, so presumably it would then have to go into adapted screenplay. And then the reason that Dunkirk hasn't been nominated is because they're thinking, well, there's not much talking in it, is there? And it's like, no, that's not what a screenplay is. It's not just people talking, that's a play. There ain't no words. <laughs> there ain't no words. And I think that Dunkirk has an amazingly well-constructed screenplay. I mean, the way that he deals with time and the way that he deals with characterization through action, that's what a screenplay is. That's what cinema can do. And, uh, yeah, overlooked. So, uh, so my voice is fading a bit. So do you want to go on to adapted screenplay? Uh, yeah, adapted screenplay. Uh, in alphabetic order, call me by your name. Rob. There you go. <laughs> uh, written by James Ivory. The disaster. Rob. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> on the disaster artist, that's nice. <laughs> the disaster, art, the disaster artist, written by uh, Scott Newstatter, uh, Michael H. Weber, uh, Logan, written by sorry, Logan. I should give that due emphasis. Written by Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green. On his game, written by Aaron Sorkin, Mudbound, written by Virgil Williams and Dee Rees. So looking at these, I have seen all of them apart from Call Me by Your Name. All right, that was a, and um, Mudbound, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> and Mudbound. So I haven't seen Mudbound either. Um, it's available on Netflix. It's worth a look. I would say, well, we're in the Online Film Critics Society, and when we had to give our nominations for what should be nominated or our submissions for what should be nominated that year for adapted screenplay, I I chose Logan because I thought that Logan was a great adaptation of the source material, primarily Old Man Logan the. Mark Miller comic from the writer of Kick-Ass and Wanted is pretty mean-spirited and I thought that Logan did a great job of transplanting that to the screen and doing the right things with the character that I think that the comic got a bit wrong and essentially just putting a real heart into that film but also again it's like a statement on now and what's happening to America now and it's I think it's, it's a great screenplay I'm not sure looking at that that it should win though but maybe it should <laughs> um but I did like Molly's Game. I know you didn't like Molly's Game, but I thought the Molly's Game was a very good screenplay. I thought it was very... I mean, Aaron Sorkin, you know, has a way with dialogue. I didn't find the story... I thought I thought there were sequences in it that were great. A lot of the stuff involving the poker. It just didn't grab me in its construction. I, you know, I really, I really loved Steve Jobs. But with Molly's Game, I almost preferred Miss Sloan, which was like diet Molly's Game, which felt... <laughs> Which came out early, which came out earlier in the year, and I don't know who wrote the script for that, but whoever wrote the script for that just watched a lot of Aaron Sorkin. Basically, what you're saying is you like Steve Jobs, which is a man's name, but you don't like Molly's Game, which is a film about a woman. Wow, this is already doesn't it? Yeah. Think this podcast is going to get quite political, <laughs> or just taking cheap shots at <laughs> each other, which, um, which we've never done before and never will again. Never will again. Yeah, so Mudbound, I hear, is a solid piece of work, but I need to see it. The Disaster Artist, I thought, was a good adaptation of, of a very good book, and I thought that it got the balance right, because I think everyone thought that The Disaster Artist was going to be a sneering film. Now, look at this guy who made this really, really rubbish film, and it's Franco, who can sometimes come across as really quite smug. But I thought they got the balance just right in terms of it being quite a sympathetic look at somebody whose ambition is not matched by their talent, and is a misfit, and just can't be let into this world that he really, really wants to be part of. Yeah, it's, tra- also, it's tragic comic. It there, is. There's a degree. It, it's comedy spiced with tragedy. But it didn't 
veined with tragedy. Adjective, yeah. Adjective, you know, yeah. But it didn't whitewash the character of Tommy Wiseau. And I'm really glad that they have got that scene in there with the sex scene. Because in the book, you read that and it just sounds so... It just shows what, what an amateur he was and the way that he was treating people, particularly the actress, who obviously is quite vulnerable because she's naked in that scene. And he clearly hadn't got the emotional maturity or the professional maturity to uh, to direct that scene. And I thought that was, was really good that they got it in there. So look, it's not all a comedy. This guy is actually can actually be really cruel. So yeah, I thought that was a good piece of writing. I probably would give it to Logan from those, having not seen two of them. But uh, but Logan, I just thought, well, yeah, that was one of my films of the year. And I thought it was a great piece of writing. What would you give it to? Um, I would be tempted to give it to Logan, yeah. Interesting. It would be interesting if it wins. It would be a validation, but I could see it also becoming a Twitter storm in terms of, oh, right, so Logan wins, but Wonder Woman doesn't even get nominated. It's like, well... One of those films... They're both good films, but one of those films is better than the other. It is. And Wonder Woman was very candy in the way that it remade Superman. It's like, yes, you should just do that, because the original Superman is and, a and really well-constructed film. the third act is just... Just, yeah, stinks. I mean, it's just... it's really lets the film down so uh, we're not going to do all the Oscars we'll just do the main ones but actor so uh, so Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name don't Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread Rob Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out Harry Oldman for Darkest Hour and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire so it's going to go to Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour it shouldn't go to Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour I, it's just a pantomime performance. It's a big hammy performance. Uh, a big jowly performance. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I think that's the thing. Even since our podcast, going back and sort of going over it again and working on my review, I am remembering that film less and less favourably. Well, sorry, no, more favourably in the technical aspect. You know, I think it technically holds up very well, but just in terms of... Darkest Hour? Uh, yes. Which way technically does it hold up? Well? Oh, cinematography. I think cinematography <sighs> is very good, and I think, I think the score's quite good. I think that the cinematography is good enough, but I don't think it's doing anything inventive with the cinematography. I don't think that it's, and we'll get onto this in just a second, but I don't think it's doing anything that was being done in Dunkirk or Blade Runner, even. I mean, I think it's. I, I, I completely agree with that. I also think the limitations of what Darkest Hour, I think it is as inventive and as interesting as it could have been, given that it is largely set in darkened rooms with. Yeah. The fun of cigar smoke and... Oh, I'm just thinking about our Reservoir Dogs podcast, though, and uh, what he did with that warehouse. Much better cinematography, I think, in terms of... But then it's also the yeah, direction. It all comes down to, to what the director's vision is, and I think that Joe Wright has a, a very, very pedestrian vision for Darkest Hour. But to be honest, I haven't seen most of these films. So it's not... Oh, well, yeah, it's not really pedestrian. I mean, you know, he takes the tube. He does take the tube, that's right. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen enough of these films to really have... Um, an informed decision but Daniel Kaluuya having said that I always have an opinion I thought was great and get out and there was a bit of backlash from Sam Jackson who said it should have gone to an American actor not to a British actor I think he walked that back after uh, he got pulled out on it I think he ended, oh, did he? I think he ended up apologising okay. saying yeah, sorry that was, a, that was that was a that was a idiotic fight to pick I think yeah I think it is cause, and it, yeah, it is daft because he was very good his accent was very good, but he was very good. I think he conveyed the just bizarre journey. He was a great audience anchor for that. Well, there we've, got, we've got three British nominees there. Yes, indeed. I so mean, have we decided that Daniel Day-Lewis 
Yeah, where was he born? So he, he trained at the Bristol Old Vic, so you know he's he's yeah, one of ours. He is one of ours, and actually he was born in Greenwich, so he really yeah, he's is definitely, ours. Definitely, definitely <laughs> ours. We will love that. Yes, indeed, definitely. I mean, Timothy Chalamet is I think he's twenty two, which he's currently the third youngest uh, Best Actor nominee. And if he were to win, which I don't think is entirely likely, it would put him at seven years younger than the current uh, youngest winner, who is uh, of course Adrian Brody for The Pianist. I did not know that Adrian Brody was the youngest Best Actor winner. Wow, wow. Okay, he's not going to win though. So um... he's also he he's also one of the actors who's in more than one Best Picture nominee this year. He's in, he's in Lady Bird. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Uh, um, yes, he's having. What did we see? And in... Hostiles. You saw him in Hostiles. Yes, that's right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, he's having quite a good year. I always think of Taylor Kitsch at this point, <laughs> thinking I had a year like that once. Didn't quite go the way that you had. I had lots of films coming out in one year. None of them worked. None of them worked. I think it's going to go to Gary Oldman. I think that they've decided that three the three Oscars is enough for Daniel and and Denzel Washington for Roman J is well Squire. I mean, that's just a real left of field choice, isn't it? In terms of yeah. that film hasn't really received that much notice. And, and it's and it's strange because you know there are there are other missions, you know, um, of course, uh, that James Franco not being nominated despite you know maybe they thought his performance was too odd or too much of an impersonation or maybe or too left of field or maybe there has been a reappraisal since the new since uh, the, the, the the allegations came out about him um, I think there's been a reappraisal to be honest um, I, but also like when, no Jake Gyllenhaal for Stronger who I had thought he was excellent in Stronger mm-hmm. about the Boston the survivor, uh, one of the survivors of the Boston Marathon bombing um, this does mean however that this is um, Denzel Washington is the first black male actor to get two consecutive acting nominations oh right what was he nominated for last year um, Fences yes of course he was yes. uh, uh, actually and at the, this same year um, Octavia Spencer has had her second yes, consecutive yes. nomination yeah indeed spoiler spoiler for the best supporting actress category yeah but there's also one more isn't there that you well it was your favourite film for the London Film Festival was Lucky starring Harry Dean Stanton in his yeah, final the thing, I keep forgetting that one because it was. I, I knew it was realistically. Just you know, he's a he was a beloved character actor. You know, worked for sixty years and recently passed away. And the performance is great. I think the film is too indie. It's just too low key. It's a shame that because if, if that missed out purely because they didn't have the money for a marketing campaign, then again it shows one of the limitations of the Oscars. Because he was he was a great actor, and he was so great in so many different films, so many different genres, and in so many different levels of film from really important films to films that you think are throw away and then become a cult classic like Escape from New York I think is great in that but he was never really recognised by any awards bodies he was just like a dobbing actor but was uh, but was recognised for his talent and I've not seen Lucky but you were really really bowled over by it and that is if it doesn't make my top five no three this year I'd say it's a very good year. Wow. If it doesn't make my top five, it's an incredible year. <laughs> and if it, did, if it was to somehow not make my top ten, then my entire top ten would have to be composed of five-star solid gold classics. Then it's the best year of, yeah, um, of film, ever. film ever. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, obviously, there's also um, Vince Vaughn for Brawl in Cell Block 99, which um, <laughs> which should have been in here, in here as well. That should have been in, in Best Picture and Best Director, too. <laughs> so, it's in another universe. Criminally overlooked. Yeah, so, um, so anyway. So oh, uh, oh, 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 we forgot one. Go on. Uh, Tom Hanks. 
Yes, of course. For the post. Which I thought, I'm surprised by that. But then I, I, I look at this and think, is it a case of Spielberg-itis here that it's like, we know, Tom, you can deliver this. But then it's no great street, um, street for stretch for Meryl. <laughs> it's no great stretch for Meryl Streep in the post either, but she's up for Best Actress. But she is the Oscars favourite child, isn't she? She really is. This is, did you say it was her 21st nomination? Yeah. I mean, she's not going to win, but 21 nominations. But she is, I mean, yeah, she is great in that film as well. Tom Hanks is great in that film. It's just, I think that these other actors, I think, are doing things more, just, more interesting. Yeah, uh, or maybe kind of, yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm just thinking, yeah, Meryl Streep is, you know, get on to her in a moment, is very good. But it's nothing we haven't seen from her before. Yeah, but she is very good in the post. And I did think it was one of those where I'm thinking, I'm actually watching you give a performance that I've, I've not seen. I don't, I've not seen this from you in a while. Actress in a leading role. Do you want to run through these ones? Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water. Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Margot Robbie for I, Tonya. Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird. And Mary Streep for The Post. Wow. Okay. So I have only not seen Lady Bird, which I will have seen by this time tomorrow. I mean, the first three, so Sally Hawkins and Frances McDormand and Margot Robbie, are great. And they are just great. And I think that Frances McDormand is the front runner right now in terms of the book is favourite. But, oh, I don't know, I think it's between her and Margot Robbie. And I don't know which one was better because I, Tonya was great. And she I, was great, was, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's going to be Frances McDormand over Margot Robbie. I, Margot Robbie could, you know, could hobble her. Could, uh, could, uh... <laughs> I just can't call it. I can't call which one I thought was better. I thought they were both brilliant. And I remember like Sally Hawkins as well, who I think has had a complete rehabilitation after after Happy Go Lucky, which was a film that I hated so much, and I hated her performance so much that it took me years to accept that Sally Hawkins could do anything good. And now I really like her. I think she's a really good actress. But Happy Go Lucky, I'm sorry. God, that film. That film is worse than Darkest Hour. I know, I am trembling with her. Shit! <laughs> horrible, horrible Groucho Club socialism and, oh, God, I just hate that film. So, yeah, so anyway, so that's that Happy Go Lucky film that came out a decade ago. Let's uh, talk about the Oscar nominees. So which one... Uh, Sorry, go on. I honestly... I'm in a pretty similar position to you. Um, I mean, Frances McDormand gets a lot to work with. Foul-mouthed and just full of rage. And, I mean, she... And, and, she, and she fully... Yeah, it's... It's it's an incredible role, and she is wonderful. You know, and she really fulfills the potential of it. And I think the thing that Frances McDormand and Margot Robbie both do is that they find the humanity within incredibly difficult characters, but they don't soft sell the difficultness and the spikiness of their characters. These are people that you might not want to hang out with because they can be awful, awful people, but you understand why and how they've what become like that them, yeah. yeah yeah what shaped them and the shape of water you understand <laughs> but um but yeah so i think there is like the, yeah that's the reason why i can't call it i have not seen Lady Bird, but you have so saoirse ronan how is she in that because she also plays quite a spiky difficult character as well doesn't she yeah she's very good um that's again again the thing about coming of age stories is there is just like a fundamental relatable you know if you've you know if you've grown up in a first world country within that you know a few decades either side chances are there's going to be a lot of stuff that you know that's going to resonate and she is she is very good i just think that the film doesn't have anything doesn't have like a anything that you can sort of pin and there aren't necessarily any bits that you can point to and go well that's the oscar scene that's the yeah 
Which, you know, being said, um, in the next in the next category, there was somebody who had a definite Oscar scene, perhaps the Oscar scene of any film I've seen this year, and didn't get a nomination. So, mm, but that'll be interesting to see what one that is, because um, yes, we're going to move on to actor in a sporting role. So, Willem Dafoe for the Florida Project, Woody Harrelson, Harrelson even for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, Kevin Spacey, sorry, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, and Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Quick little diversion here. One of the best tweets of the year, last year, was when Christopher Plummer was cast in All the Money in the World and someone tweeted, when your film is in the shitter, call a plumber. Because, <laughs> of course, this was the Kevin Spacey film. 20 years from now, we will see a version of that film with Kevin Spacey in it. I think that's how long it's going to take for people to say, yes, we can watch a version of this film with Kevin Spacey in it. Yeah, well, this, you know, I'm just prurient... Yeah, curious. Well, yeah, yeah, it would be fascinating to see um, just the difference in the performance styles because apparently Christopher Plummer gives like a slightly warmer performance. Yeah, there's a sort of touch of sort of the, the roguish Plummer charm to him. Yeah, where you can imagine Kevin Spacey just being very unfeeling and cold. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. All the money in the world. So I've not seen it. Um, there are quite a few films I haven't seen. I do actually watch films, honestly. Have you seen the Florida Project? No, I haven't seen the Florida Project. That's right, but uh, I am looking forward to the Florida Project. What, what, what did you spend like you know the London Film Festival in the last year doing, Rob? I did it. I didn't see that many films at this year's London Film Festival. It was uh, yes, it kind of passed me by a bit. Looking at this, it's funny when I saw Three Billboards at the London Film Festival. Um, oh, I'd already I, seen it by then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. I was watching it thinking, okay, so Woody Harrelson has got the Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor in the bag. He might even have the Oscar nom in the bag, uh, the Oscar itself in the bag. The end of Three Billboards, I thought, Sam Rockwell is mm. going to win the Oscar for that film. I mean, it's interesting because we talked about it when we were talking about the film itself on the last podcast. He plays a racist, a racist who has a dim-witted a, racist thug who is a policeman and has used brute force against minorities because he is a racist. He has an arc and a journey of character where he is not the same at the end as he is, as he is at the beginning. We're not going to spoil exactly what happens, but there is a real arc to that character. And it's interesting, and it's I thought was really expertly written and expertly played, and it will be interesting, because I think The Get Out is going to be a big film at this year's Oscars, and it'll be interesting to see if they give the supporting actor... Oscar to someone who starts off as a vile, vile person. Or if you go on the Mark Kerr mode suggestion, it's going to be Willem Dafoe for the Florida Project. Yeah, what do you think the of that? Florida Project, he plays the manager of the hotel, of uh, this hotel, you know, it was basically off like the interstate just outside of Disneyland, and it's a bit run down, and a lot of the tenants don't have very much money and can be and kind of try and take advantage of his kindness. Um, and he is, you know, he's sort of a bit down his luck and he's stressed. But there is a fundamental decency to him. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene in which he has to escort, you know, he, in which uh, he notices that a, uh, somebody he doesn't know, a, a male adult he doesn't know is perhaps getting a little too friendly with the kids out in the forecourt where he kind of has to intervene. And yeah, Willem Dafoe is just, his character is essentially, yeah, just decent. It's the it's paragon of decency. Which makes it more interesting for me that they've, they've chosen to give uh, three billboards. I mean, both Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson, as you say, are excellent. But give it sort of, you know, two, uh, three billboards, two bites of the apple, mm. so to speak. Uh, excluding, in the process, uh, somebody I thought was bound to be included, who was uh, Michael Stuhlberg for Call Me By Your Name. 
he uh, he has a scene towards the end of the film where he talks to his son about relationships and about you know opening yourself up to experiences and feeling and you know allowing yourself to feel even if it hurts. That just is like that. Then that that is an Oscar nomination. There is no way he does not get the Oscar nomination for that. Yeah, I mean he's in three Best Picture nominees this year. Yeah, so he's in this, The Shape of Water, and and The Post. Yes, and I, I think it's unlikely he was going to ever get an Oscar nomination for The Shape of Water. Uh, you know, because yeah. I, I think I think if it's you know it's going to be it would have been Michael Shannon over him. Yes, that's um, right. It would have been. But maybe he sorry. split his vote. Maybe he split his vote just enough that he that he missed out. Maybe he. Uh, maybe he. What my my theory behind Amy Adams is that Amy Adams kind of you know when, when Amy Adams got sunk back in twenty sixteen, that she kind of split herself between Arrival and um, Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, and ended up kind of ruling herself out. I mean, I I think with Michael Solberg and lots of people have said, how can you not give that at least a nomination? Interesting about The Shape of Water, because I think that Richard Jenkins is a great actor, and he has a couple of really, really good scenes in this film, particularly the scene in the diner, when he tries to be honest, and does go very well. I think that Michael Shannon is just the more interesting character there. I mean, I know it's easy, it's easier to play a monster who has a, well, you know, it's not easy, but... It's more interesting for an audience to watch a monster who has elements of humanity about him rather than someone who is just a very, very decent guy who's having to live a life their whole life and they've been like a real tragedy to I that. I three of these characters kind of fit that mould. Woody Harrelson in Three Billboards does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, I mean, it's interesting that the last time uh, there were two actors nominated from the same film in the same category was The Help back in 2012 where it came down between um, Jessica Chastain and Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer, who, of course, won and is nominated for Shape of Water in Best Supporting Actress. And Jessica Chastain, of course, who was also Missed one of those out. people who said has been snubbed over her performance in Molly's Game, which I thought was very good. Um, and, and Christopher Plummer feels like, you know, he was very he was very good money, all the money in the world, but this feels like more of an acknowledgement of what he did just in terms of the time pressures he must have been under and giving that performance under those constraints. And that's interesting because that... I can see why you would want to recognise that because you're thinking you're playing someone who is a real person from history, you're having to do them, even if they weren't a very nice person, you're having to do them a certain amount of justice and you are having to shoot pretty much all of it in about two weeks or something like that. It's like, there's not a lot of prep here. You're also, it's an incredibly odd atmosphere it must have been to have all those people come back and do it all again and you're saying, yes, the last time we did this was with this person who you presumably got on quite well with, but has now been utterly shamed, and how can we even talk about this? And so now I'm having to do this. Well, Michael so, Burke was reportedly laughing all the way to the bank, so... Yes, he was, that's right. Um, and yes. also, I mean, also Christopher Plummer's the oldest person ever to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He's uh, yeah. 88 years old. And he's looking pretty good for it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think here it's, uh, yes, I mean, kind of thinking, who else is he going to replace if... Uh, Yes, T- um, T.J. Miller in Deadpool, which would be the ultimate meta meta joke. Yes, <laughs> Deadpool, sorry, Deadpool two, I should yeah. Yeah, dude, is that still accusation? Yeah, it's yeah because I do like T.J. Miller a lot, but anyway, so well, we, <laughs> well, yeah, but it would be it would be a good joke. Um, actresses, do you want to quickly run through the support uh, actresses? Uh, actress, uh, best uh, actress in a supporting role: Mary Jo Blige for Mudbound, Alison Janney for I Tonya, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf for Ladybird, and Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. Mm. So, looking at these, it's interesting here that there's. I think 
this is an Oscars where you can see the clear winner or the two frontrunners. And here, Alison Janey and Laurie Metcalf. I think it's, I mean, it's it's between the two, isn't it? And I thought that Alison Janey was fantastic as Tonya Harding's mum. Again, it's what we're talking about, the, it's the human monster. Abusive, narcissistic. And I think Laurie Metcalf plays a much less monstrous version of that. You know, she plays a mother who doesn't necessarily have a very good relationship with her daughter, who is very critical and can be very... But it, it, in her case, it is all coming from a place of worry and vulnerability in a way that, you know, I told you hints at, but, the you know, um, Alison Jenny's character is so quick to defend herself and just brushes everything off with a kind of airy, oh, so what? So what? I wasn't very nice to you. You wouldn't have... You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. I told you that that's what that entire film's about. It's about perception and self-delusion and rational, basically, isn't it? Everyone has their own version of reality and you hear her reality and it's very, very different to Tonya Harding's reality and what the film presents is much more of Tonya Harding's reality, I think. Um, but Alison Janey is a driven mother and it's, it, yeah, it's interesting. It even comes back to that whole whiplash thing of like... I was about to say whiplash. Yeah. Especially like, is it, I said I said earlier today in conversation with you that um, uh, uh, J.K. Simmons is the male... Is the male Alison Janey? Yeah, they have to play siblings at some point. <laughs> Old, bitter siblings. I, I, I think I, I, for some reason, keep thinking that they were the parents in Juno. Juno. And I know he was. I can't remember if she was. It feels... No, wasn't it Sissy Spacek or someone like that? But probably not. Um, it was someone... It was somebody... No, I'm thinking of Hot Rod. She was <laughs> Sissy Spacek, the mighty Hot Rod. No, you're right, she was. Alison Janey was the There you go. Yeah, so they have played husband and wife, now they need to play brother and sister. Yes. It's interesting that Leslie Manville got an Oscar nomination again. You know, when she doesn't have the immediate prestige of of Daniel Day-Lewis, and, you know, it's presumably not her final film. So the fact that she's been nominated, for again, for a film that not that many people have seen, suggests that she is also incredibly good. Yes, indeed. Particularly as there is, of course, another actress in that film. Alison Creeps. Yes, who is also getting... Amazing notices. So, um, but would her would she have, would she Ricky have Creep, to, sorry Ricky Creep sorry would she have had to take a best actress slot that she uh, wasn't able to quite win? Maybe yeah, maybe. I'd get the impression if it's like Paul Thomas Anderson's other films, it's a lead performance and supporting actors around them. There will be blood. There is. There's no lead actress in that film. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's just him and then other people around him. Paul Downey was great though, wasn't he? Um, but anyway, so I think I might change my mind after I see Lady Bird tomorrow, but Alison Janney just seems to be someone who you kind of think should have got an Oscar by now and hasn't, but she's great in this. Then again, I would love it if Jackie from Roseanne got an Oscar. Because <laughs> of course she did win an Emmy, didn't she, for Roseanne? And there was a great scene at the end of Roseanne that played over the credits of one episode where she was polishing the Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> and Roseanne said, give it to me. Nope, it's mine. <laughs> give it to me. Nope, it's mine. <laughs> and then she chases around the set with him, and it's really good. So anyway. Um, so, yes. Shall we move on to... We can't go through all of these. Um, let's go on to animated feature film. I like how we're basically skipping over documentary in foreign language, because neither of us have really seen any of no, them. Oh, God, no. Um, although I did get a thing from Netflix today saying, all the Oscar nominees we've got. We've got Mudbound and tons of documentaries. And it's like, well, they... Yeah. All the, basically all the documentaries. All the documentaries. So, yes. Animated feature films. So we've got The Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, Coco, 
Ferdinand loving Vincent. Now, the Oscar nominated boss baby. The Oscar nominated the boss baby. Even Ferdinand apparently is alright. Where is Lego Batman? <laughs> if you're talking about the best animated film, then Lego Batman. Because Lego Batman is basically like airplane. And, and, it, and it's an important movie. As they say at the very beginning, you know, all important movies start with black. All important movies start with black. <laughs> Dark music gets. The execs worried. <laughs> I mean, there's so much going on in that. This is the kids' version of Airplane because there is so much going on in the background of this. There are so many gags on screen at once. And I had to watch it again because the first time I watched it, I was quite tired and I kept having to stand up because I kept yeah, nodding off thinking every time I close my eyes and just I just listen to this, I'm missing three gags. Therefore, you know, I stand up and then I watched it again and thought, that was great. It's <laughs> just a great and film. It's interesting that Love and Vincent's been nominated because yeah. that's rotoscoped. Well, that's, that's painted. Yes, that's, that's that, like right. cell shaded, as in they went through and painted every frame to look like the you know it's all it was all acted live acted, and they went through and painted every frame to look like the the artwork of Vincent Van Gogh. Which I think actually does mean that that is a wonderfully animated film because I don't think that they had sets that looked like it. I think that they made the artistic decisions in the animation of the rotoscoping. So I would say I would say that's it's a worthy nominee. The Breadrunner is the one that I really want to see that I've not yet seen. and I think we have a I, link for that. I don't know if it's still live. I didn't get all the links that you got this year for the nominee um, for the films that came out. And I don't think I... Oh yeah, I, I told them not to bother. Yet. I told them that you had loads of stuff to catch up on anyway. Yeah, indeed, yeah. You haven't seen Call Me By Your Name yet. Anyway, so this one, I mean, you always think if there's a Pixar film in the nominees, it's going to go to the Pixar film. So you think that Coco's going to get it. I think that the Breadwinner could actually get this one which would be a bit of an upset, because Coco was a delight. It was lovely. It's a really... Confectionary delight. No, it's more than that. It's not Lala Land. There's so much going on in that film. So, yeah, to do with, you know, again, sorry, we're going to end up echoing the Mark Commode review, but, you know, to do with um, like the Mexican culture and tradition and memory and death and music. And, yeah, there's, it's, it's a real, it's really rich... And a celebration of life. And also, I think, it's one of those that... I mean, the beginning of the film, he talks about his family history and you kind of get kind of an animated version of it the same way that Up starts. So it actually reminded me a lot of the beginning of Up and I thought it was yeah, lovely in the way that was done. But it's also... I didn't know much about Day of the Dead or Mexican belief around you know, what happens to... Yeah, your ancestors and the fact that you have to have these photos so that you remember them and that, that they live on and that you go to their graves and you take them food they can take into the afterlife and all this kind of stuff all this and they'll have spirit animals and you know all the spirit animals are great as well and it's like thinking why is this just not done more but of course it was done before in the book of life yes i haven't seen the book of life i've heard it's no i'm saying because <laughs> that kind of came and went didn't it and it was yeah. one of those where it was going to be a big film until it kind of came and went so yeah, so it's one of those where it's like, well, actually, this is great. This is a wonderful exploration of a culture done by Disney and actually done properly because, of course, they because the because the, of course the original title was Dia de los Muertos. Yeah. Is that right? Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, it's a Day of the Dead, and they tried to trademark that. And strange enough, that upset quite a lot of people, <laughs> like the entire nation of Mexico, <laughs> um, who said, like, "Thanks, you basically just tried done the equivalent of I don't know, trying to trademark Christmas." Yes, indeed, or like yeah, the, or Easter or, or something Easter, yeah. like that. It's um, you can't do this a holiday with religious and cultural significance. Yes, and uh, you can't just turn that into something that then we have to apply for permission to use that now. And it was actually quite well done in terms of one of the most vocal critics of Disney at that time because of that. 
they then said actually well then you need to come on as consultant so because we, we need to get this right because I think they'd scored quite a lot of points over Moana in terms of you know, making sure they didn't offend the culture there and then they risked a huge own goal here so they kind of got that guy on board it's a lovely film I had a really, really good time watching it I just think that the breadwinner is is one that might just beat it to the punch but anyway we'll is see it, is it loafly? <laughs> it's it's a yeast for the eyes <laughs> 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 God, you love this. This is why this is why they listen. Um, okay, so Hello. we're getting a bit punchy now. So. Let's steer through. Now, actually, for foreign language, my God, I, I yeah, I do love film. I have to admit, I do. I, I love film. I've not seen any of the foreign language nominees. Well, um, Fantastic Woman's not out yet. Here, I've heard. I've heard it is. But I've had so many invites to screenings of that that I've not been able really? to go to. But yeah, indeed, for like yeah, for one reason or another, there have been so many invites come through. And it's like, oh, fuck, I can't go on that night either. But, um, but Loveless, which did show, which actually won Best Picture, but won the Best Picture at the London Film Festival. And I'm really annoyed that I missed that one because his his previous one was Leviathan, and that was great. And apparently, this is even better than that. So you think, and you know, the Square, which one it can? Yeah, that's right. Um, which apparently is very good as well. So yeah, I mean. Don't know. Haven't seen any of them, so therefore, uh, loveless. <laughs> so let's get on to ones that we have seen. Cinematography. So, we've got Blade Runner 2049, Roger Deakins. Or Roger A. Deakins here, so that's interesting. Never seen him referred to as that. Maybe, but, maybe he's thinking he'll change it up, just, you know, whatever time it's the charm. Yes. A stands for Academy. <laughs> Please recognise me. I'm, I am the best at what I do. Unfortunately, not this year. Anyway, so we've got Darkest Hour, which is Bruno... Delbanel. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Because um, he's foreign and, and you like to jump in. Um, we've got Dunkirk, which is Hoyter van Hoytema. <laughs> and we've got I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> Mudbound, which is Rachel Morrison. And The Shape of Water, which is Dan Laustsen. And I have not heard of him, so what else has he done? And... If you know, then shout out. I do not. No. It's weird with the cinematographers because they're really important, as is everyone who works on a film. But there are some times when there are cinematographers who have shot my favourite films and I have no idea who they are. So, yes. So Crimson Peak, he seems to have worked quite a couple of times with Del Toro. He did Mimic. So, okay, right. Um, He did Night Watch, which was a good film from way back. Uh, Yes. He did John Wick too, so there you go. And they also apparently brought him in for Proud Mary. Yes, there you go. Which, okay, which, is, which they've now since proceeded to bury, essentially. Yeah, that's right. This one, so Roger Deakins shot the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. He shot No Country for Old Men. He was a visual consultant on Wally. Um, he has done so many wonderful things. Sicario. That Sicario was exactly. I wanted Sicario to win that. Yeah, game. I mean that was. I mean I'm not a huge fan of that film, but. I thought that the cinematography was absolutely amazing. But I just think that this series should go to Hoyter van Hoytemer for Dunkirk. I think that's the bigger achievement. I don't think that Blade Runner 2049 really stands next to that film in terms of the cinematography, or or in any way, to be honest. And the rawness to the composition of it. And it's, yeah, I think we've expanded quite a lot on cinematography in that film, and... uh... The way that water looks different in terms of what's happening. The way that water had like a real grey lead and weight to it at points because it's a solid mass that you just cannot walk against. Yeah, Yeah, indeed. I think it would. It is going to be Deacon's year 
which I think is a body of work email, um, email? <laughs> Oscar. But then again, I know people who absolutely adore his work in that film. So, and, so yeah, you know, and Rachel Morrison, the first ever female cinematographer to be nominated, and that's, I'd like to say, that's a horrible, horrible thing, which it is. But it's not a surprise. It's weird with cinematography that it's as much of a boys' club as directing. I think script editing and continuity were traditionally the jobs that women were allowed to dominate, <laughs> and that's the word they were allowed to dominate them. But I think it's going to be Roger Deakins. So in terms of other ones that we should be discussing, are there any left, do you think? We should probably touch upon things like that. I mean, for visual effects, I mean, mm. nominees Blade Runner 2049, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Kong Skull Island, Star Wars The Last Jedi, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, two of which, no, three of which Andy Serkis was involved in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it should go to War for the Planet of the Apes. Agreed, absolutely. These films haven't yet won a Best Visual Effects Oscar, and that's remarkable <laughs> you'll believe a monkey can ride a horse you'll believe a monkey can ride a horse and talk and just do anything I mean I watched the original last year well the original Rise of the Planet of the Apes and the effects in that still hold up really well but they have got better and better and better every single time if, 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 I mean I think the weakest there's probably Guardians of the Galaxy if it wasn't going to be War of the yeah. Planet of the Apes I'd probably say Blade Runner 2049 or Star Wars The Last Jedi would either either of those they're both very worthy but if you know, Kong Skull Island is good but if Kong Skull Island wins it's going to be the wrong monkey movie won <laughs> the wrong monkey got it <laughs> it has to be War for the Planet of the Apes because all of those films have been amazing technical achievements and that first half hour of War for the Planet of the Apes but particularly the scene when, when the three of them kind of go on the road like it's an old-fashioned Western, and there's a point when they go into the hut or the, to the you know, wooden shack where the girl is. Kind of ghost town, yeah. Yeah, and the way they're acting and the way... It's like this... They are monkeys with guns, but they are cowboys. They are acting... They're all acting like monkeys, but they're acting like monkeys that have learned how to act like humans. And this is absolute photorealism. It's like you have just put trained monkeys into a room who were doing the most amazing things you've ever seen. Oh, with the next big Hollywood scandal, it turns out they did. <laughs> yeah, well, it's Caesar, like, Caesar yeah. was actually a real, a real, you know, ape. we actually killed him. Yeah, well, there were seven Caesars. <laughs> we just kept getting through them. So seven Caesars to film those three movies. No, sorry, that was just the last movie. <laughs> they were actually, I mean, we killed like yeah, we, 50 we, for the first film. Yeah, we went through two seasons on that last take. Yeah, it was, um, the only way that we could get them to act that well was we had to beat them with an inch of their lives. And, and, and it, sometimes it was less than an inch and, of their lives. And how to get them to move the mouse? Was that CGI? No, just the old, you know, Mr. Ed thing with the peanut butter. <laughs> yes, indeed. Except instead of peanut butter, we used um, electric shocks. <laughs> Around Couldn't the mouth. you just use peanut butter? We just found that electric shocks work better. That probably isn't true. <laughs> Look, we've been, we've been recorded now for quite a while, so we are slightly punchy. But After a full um, day of work. After a full day of work. So therefore, allow us our indulgences. But yes, um, I don't think that they did use real monkeys for War of the Planet of the Apes. But they that I, the, yeah, I really... The jury's out. The jury's out, yes, the jury's out. There might have been some monkey business going on. No. I have ape expectations for the winner of visual effects this year, and not Kong. So film editing. Yeah, so Baby Driver, Dunkirk, Itonia, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards. I think it's going to come down to... I think Dunkirk should get it, but it'll come down between that and Baby Driver, I think. I don't think so. I think Itonia was so well put together. That's true. 
Um, I mean, it was one of those where it was basically Goodfellas of sports scandal movies. Goodfellas <laughs> um, of competitive, competitive ice skating. Yes, indeed. It was such a kinetic experience. But for just showing what the wonder of film editing can achieve, I think it has to go to Dunkirk, to have those three different timelines running parallel for only 100 minutes, I mean, and to use that to show things from different perspective, but also to tie it into the theme of time and time passing and, and time being something that you can't beat, and, oh, God, there's just so much in there. Brilliant. So I think it should go to that, but I'll always say that. And then, yeah, so... Well, uh, the costume design, I mean, that's the category's interesting, if only because it's got Jacqueline Duran against herself for Beauty and the Beast and Darkest Hour. Yep. Uh, I mean, Phantom Thread, it'd be surprising if Phantom Thread didn't get an Oscar yeah. in costume <laughs> design, right. given it's about... A tailor. Yes. Uh, I mean, Shape of Water, again, great period drama. Victorian Abdul, yeah, period drama again. Yeah. Makeup and hairstyling, Darkest Hour has kind of got to be... Yes. ...for the prosthetics. I mean, although one day has also got very good prosthetics, Jacob Tremblay being... Dark. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. I think it's one of those things where Darkest Hour, you know it's Gary Oldman, you can't... You know he hasn't put on all, all that weight, you can't see the join in the jowls. It. I think the one thing about Darkest Hour that I'll give it is that the makeup was amazing and... Yeah, he should get it for that. It's the only thing. <laughs> Original score, Dunkirk, Hans Zimmer, Phantom Thread, Johnny Greenwood, Shape of Water, uh, 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 Alexandre Desplat, God, I'm punchy as well, uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, John Williams, um, three boards, John William. uh, William, uh, and three boards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Carter Burwell. Now, I I mean, this is interesting. I think I think that this is going to go to The Shape of Water, which I thought was a, a lush and romantic and lovely score by um, Alexandre Desplat, is it? Desplat, I think. Do you say the S? Anyway, him is great. <laughs> but, I mean, this is a, an impressive... I mean, every, they've all been nominated before. Uh, I mean, Zimmer has been nominated ten times. Has he ever won? Lion King. Lion King, well, okay, well that was a good score. Um, Greenwood... Actually, I don't think... No, Greenwood didn't get nominated for There Will Be Blood. Did not? No, he did. Oh, interesting. Um, that, was a, that was a good score. I mean, it was... It was inside of the main character's head, <laughs> which is what a great score does. But uh, I mean, just, I think what he's nominated many times, but I think he won for Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh-huh. Um, Williams, yes, goes without saying. And Carter Burwell was nominated for Carol, though I still think he should have been nominated for In Bruges as well. Yes, I can't remember that. Well, you have to include a clip of it at the end. We'll, uh, we'll play. We'll play out. Oh the, yes, play out In Bruges. Yes, that's right. That which, of course, was directed by Martin McDonough. So it all comes round. Yes, so sorry, we just have a printout of all the things here. So there's I mean there's also the yeah, best short film, there's best documentary, there's uh best documentary short. I mean these are the ones that I tend to watch on YouTube if they're available for when we're doing the sweepstake at work. Because these are the ones it's always the smaller ones that tend to tip you over to win it. I've never actually won. I've often come second, but I've never won. Which is annoying because there's normally about like yeah, thirty five quid you can win anyway. Mm. I think the real winners will be the audience this year because <laughs> elegant, it's an, ele- an elegant rap- uh, introduction to the conclusion there Rob, I think yeah. it would have been if you hadn't have called it out but it was so clumsy I mean my voice you know sound editing and sound mixing would say Dunkirk um, it's pretty the similar categories what I always do and I'll do it because I think we're planning to do an all nighter on the Oscars again and then we'll do another podcast afterwards I'm going to find out exactly what the differences between editing 
and sound mixing kind of have a rough idea so I need to go on oh. YouTube or something and see if someone's done a video essay about it and touching upon original song as the final category we haven't mentioned yeah, very briefly uh, Mary J Blige uh, is also nominated for, for that so making her the first ever uh, nominee for, in both an acting and a music category in the, in the same year mm. and you've also got um, Surf Jan Steve oh that's, that's for um, my band of course you've also got Surf Jan Stevens for Mystery of Love and Call Me By Your Name got Remember Me from Coco which I really like yeah, totally. uh, Stand Up for Something from Marshall which I haven't seen Marshall being the um, Chadwick Boseman yes that's right uh, and yeah, that... This Is Me from The Greatest Showman which is very catchy but in, in a not great film it's interesting isn't it because Marshall was one that I think was originally also touted to be a possible big Oscar contender and it's interesting that Mudbound has done in a way as well as it's done because Netflix tends to get overlooked because of, of their release strategy of just yeah we'll just give it to you we're going to bypass cinema I mean in my- last year was more Amazon's year Amazon's going to right. out this year I read that actually that Amazon were going to scale back their independent film production and presumably just go for bigger films which will be a shame because they've done some really interesting movies yeah they did um, well they did my, my favourite film last year yeah which was Manchester by the Sea yeah and they also did things like the Neon Demon and stuff like that. I mean, it's yeah, they seem to be doing something that was along the lines of what the Weinsteins used to do. But of course, they also got embroiled in all that as well, didn't they? It was like, oh, dearie me. But Netflix, yeah, they seem to have had a bit of a, of a success. It'll be interesting to see if Netflix comes up for anything next year because they are releasing 80 films this year to their platform. It's almost two a week. I mean, Bright's basically a guarantee. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually. I can't I'm, even make that joke. I'm, yeah, but Bright Two will be amazing, I'm sure. But yes, it will be interesting to see the kind of films that they're releasing and if they are releasing. I mean, actually, one for visual effects, Okja. I think Okja should have been nominated for visual effects. Yeah. That stood or fell on how realistic Okja was, and it was great. I'll say it again. I think it was a really good film, a really good year for film last year, and not everything can get nominated, I suppose. Yeah, there's only one. Again, real dud. I, I've been, I can sort of really call out of this, that, and we basically slagged that off and off to. Uh... Anyway, look, as long as the baby boss or the boss baby gets nominated above Lego Batman, then all is I, right I, with the world. I, I don't see how, yeah, you could get those two. I mean, you know, the boss baby makes perfect sense, and the baby boss is obviously nonsense. So yeah, that's right. Yes, it's like. <laughs> I mean, it's a boss, not a who's a baby, not a baby who's a boss. Yeah, but, can't get it right. It's the the baby boss. Um, it's all about Trump, anyway, isn't it? So therefore, <laughs> either of them work. <laughs> yes. So anyway, but you know who I think is going to be the real winner at this year's Oscars? The audience, <laughs> because. It's going to be fascinating, it's going to be fascinating to see well, how much time they spend on things like the Me Too movement and diversity and women's pay and just all the things that are really yeah, having a very bright light shone on them right now. It would be interesting if they were to get Natalie Portman to come back and do, and here is the list of mainly male directors after what she did at the Golden Globes, saying, we do have one lady in this. 20% there is represented, but um, anyway... And I wonder who's going to volunteer to be Moonlight this year and who's going to volunteer to be <laughs> I wonder what point they're going to... I wonder how early in, in proceedings the first reference to that snafu is going to be. I wonder, yeah, I wonder which is going to, which is going to get the first mention. The, uh, all the sexual misconduct that's coming to light or the La La Land Moonlight fuck-up. There's just so much to choose from. There's so much meat to feast on. I think it's going to be one of those things where they're going to say, and here's your host for the evening, Billy Crystal. And he'll come out and then say, no, no, no. Jimmy, you got it. You got it. And he'll be in the front row and then he'll get up and do it. That's so, nice. That's a good row there. Yeah, I think that'd be good. 
if they use that, I'm suing. And so yes, there was one of the things. They could just do it for every category. Just read out the like you know, best actor goes to Roberto Benigni. Oh god. The worst thing would be if Lady Bird wins, but they accidentally read Get Out, which they wouldn't be able to do because no. there's no actress nominated for that, so they wouldn't be able to fuck it up again. Well, the funniest thing would be if uh, they say, Get Out, actually it's Darkest Hour. Don't tell anyone! Yeah, God, could you imagine that? This truly is the Darkest Hour. If it was Darkest Hour, they just can't win Best Film, so, so that's fine. <laughs> then again... So many things in the world right now are just things that could never happen. I, think, I, could happen. Say, I think the safest option they could possibly go for is in terms of like nobody would be excited, but everyone would be kind of go. Eh. Would be the post. Imagine if the post one, everyone would just kind of go. It's, yeah, I guess. Fine, maybe. I we did spot this. It was it was good. I it don't. Was, I yeah. I don't think that because they gave it to Spotlight, didn't they? Yeah. And it'd be such a collective shrug, wouldn't it? It'd be like. I just realised what the means going to go on for another three hours with this not really in The Darkest Hour was nominated for Best Picture but it wasn't nominated for Best Director and is it nominated for Best Screenplay I don't think it is it isn't <laughs> so therefore this is the Doctor Doolittle of films this year they're just they're just basically yeah we should give it to Darkest Hour because it just seems like the film that we should be nominating it's got Even a really though... good performance it's got, a, it's, it's got a good performance in it and that, shot, and that performance is shot well we've acknowledged those two things yes and so therefore that makes it a Best Picture nominee a Above Wonder Woman, even no fuck that. I would give that to Wonder Woman. I mean, yeah, I would give it. I give it to the Boss Baby above Darkest Hour. So no for direction and no for screenplay. Yet that gets on the best picture list. I'm sorry, that makes no fucking sense. Then again, this goes back to what I said about the Oscars. They're just so infuriating, but we always get sucked into this because Blade Runner 2049 is like, well, that's not there in terms of Star Wars. Yeah, Star. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. I never thought the Star Wars would really, though. I mean, I'm actually amazed that it was. But it's a film that it's like actually, yeah. They, if they, if it had been in the top ten, I would have been happy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, indeed, definitely. Um, yes, because it was in my top ten of last year. I, I do think the Wonder Woman is the big win that they missed in terms of putting that because it was such a popular movie, and it did so many things right in terms of proving the studio that made it that they were wrong about what they thought about that character in terms of, as I said before, on the actual podcast when we were talking about it, they were still merchandising Harley Quinn stuff at a ratio of two to one against Wonder Woman when Wonder Woman came out. They didn't think that they had anything that people would really warm to and then it became the biggest film every summer. Strong, charismatic, idealistic, female lead versus a damaged victim of abuse and assault who then just dresses up like every nerd's wet dream. Yeah, 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 yeah indeed, yeah. Yeah, uh, the second one... But who is... But who's I don't remember what the first one was. who has now managed to, you know, is having a good year. Oh, off, well, off the back of uh, I, Tom, yeah. Well, she's a great actress. It's, yeah, it's, more, she, the, she's, it's more the yeah, character. It's more that, that you know, yeah. she's very good as the character. She's yeah, as she's, good yeah. as the character... Allows her to be, even though... It's a horrible reading of that character. There's a much more interesting reading of of Harley Quinn in the DC animation um, animated movie Arkham Asylum than there is in Suicide Squad. Than the, the, sorry, and the Oscar winning Suicide Squad. Cribbed so heavily from it. 
Yeah, they did, yeah. Squad, just not the interesting things. That's right, yeah. Just the endless helicopter crashes. Endless helicopter crashes. But uh, So anyway, yeah. So them's the Oscar noms. And I feel that in a way this you know, podcast is yeah, reflecting the way that the Oscars runs overnight in terms of like, you get a bit punchy at some point. So in then... a way, aren't we all the Oscar noms? <laughs> no way. <laughs> in a way, aren't we all the Oscar noms are in us all along. <laughs> So, uh, and uh, and we'll see if we do the BAFTAs as well. <laughs> the BAFTAs always, they just don't have that same glamour, do they? And they often just get it right, which is really boring. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, you got that right. That's no, that's no fun. I can't moan about that. Totally valid pick. Jesus, come on, guys. It's almost like you've paid attention and that you want to reward achievement. So anyway. The bastards. The bastards. Well, them's the Oscar noms on... March the 5th, we'll be recording our Oscar podcast. The Oscars are March the 4th, aren't they? And if you thought this was punchy... <laughs> yes, we'll have been up all night, and we'll have been watching... Well, nothing can be as cringy as the fuck-up last year. Unless Harvey Weinstein gate-crashes the Oscars. Turns up drunk. Turns up drunk and stumbles out onto stage... They, I, they must have hired security to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> Saying, this is my show. Harvey and Kevin gate crash. Oh, God, could you imagine that? No, they'll be watching it from their $50,000 a week spa. Anyway. <laughs> the so, bastards. The that, bastards. They actually deserve that. That's, yes, yeah, sorry, the that was a, a sincere, the bastards. <laughs> yes, indeed. So this has all become a bit bitter now, hasn't it? I think in keeping with how the Oscars is going to be, it's going to be a, a bitter, weird affair. I am looking forward to watching it. As, as am I. And munching a ton of pizza whilst we get through the evening. So, um, so yes, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for listening. And here's some In Bruges. Retract that bit about my cunt fucking kids. I retract that bit about your cunt fucking kids. Insulting my fucking kids? That's going overboard, mate. <laughs>